With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Underdog Podcast, where we talk G5 football and only G5 football for Underdog Dynasty. This is episode 12 of the Underdog Podcast and the third edition of the best G5 conference, or the Power Six, and that is the American Athletic Conference. Once again, this is Joe Serpico. Joey Brobeck's on the line. Say what's up, Joey. Hey, what's going on, everybody? All right, we got a lot to talk about. The season is right around the corner. So in this episode, we're going to go through a little bit of an Army preview to start the show because since we talk Navy, figure, hey, let's talk Army too. Then we're going to go through the power rankings that me and Joey kind of went through the other day and released online. And then we're going to end the show with the first AAC team to get in action, and that's the USF against the San Jose State Spartans. But before we get into any football talk, let's get you to make sure you're following Facebook, Twitter, all that good stuff. Leave the reviews. Follow us online. I'm at Joe Serp. Joey, tell them where they find you. Yeah, Power 6 Nation can find me at Joey Broback. All right. So, like I said, let's kick this off with Army football talk. Now, let's not try to say that the two of us are really know a whole lot about Army, because I'm going to be honest, I did most of my research in the past couple days leading up to this podcast episode, but it's a team that is coming off arguably their best season in 20 years. It was their first bowl win since 2010, first win against Navy since 2001, and their first time winning eight games or more since 1996. So definitely their best year. Tell me what you think about Army heading into this year, and do you think they can get better than their 8-5 and five record from last year? You know, I'm just happy that they finally finally got past Navy uh, after Navy was dominating for quite some time. It was just nice to see... Army actually competed in a game, and they really st- stuck it to them in the, f- the first half, and then Navy kind of woke up a little bit, but Army did hang on. Uh, like you said, it, had, it was nice to see them in a bowl game as well. Um, Jeff Monken's doing a fantastic job turning things around there, and I'm excited to see what they have going on this year. There was a little bit of talent, but they do have quite a few returners, so I, I think that a similar record is possible in 2017. Now, you mentioned how they have a lot of returning, and that begins with you know, their quarterback, Ahmad Bradshaw. He is actually one of the few seniors they're going to have on offense. They're going to return their top seven running backs from last year, and only one was a senior. And believe it or not, of all of those running backs, he had the least amount of carries coming into this year. So they're going to have the talent there. They're going to be led by Andy Davidson and Darnell Wolfhook. So... They will definitely probably be a little bit better on offense, to be honest, because there's not a lot of turnover. But that turnover is on defense. They lose a couple guys, a couple linebackers that are going to be a big loss. And looking at their schedule, it's actually pretty favorable. You said it. Do you really think that they get back to a bowl game again this year? 
because this might, like I said, it could be the most talented team they've had in a long time. Yeah, uh, you mentioned Bradshaw earlier. It was funny. He uh, he lost the starting job to Chris Carter, and he's actually returning as well. So should something happen to Bradshaw, I think the nice thing they have going for them is depth at quarterback. You mentioned Davidson. I mean, he's huge. He's 6'2", 220, and that's just great size for a fullback to have. You also mentioned the linebackers. Uh, Jeremy Timph and Andrew King are gone. That's Those are big losses, but I think there's plenty of pieces on that side of the ball to still have a successful run. I think they do get back to another bowl game, and I think the step for them to take is to to beat both Air Force and Navy. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't beat Air Force last year. Uh, but they did beat Navy, so I think with, like you said, a favorable schedule, minus, you know, Ohio State in the third week is going to be a loss, but I think every other game is definitely a winnable game. All right, you kind of just brought up that schedule. We can just run through it really quick. They start the season with Fordham, which you would think is obviously, you know, should be a win there, followed by Buffalo. Then you brought up that Ohio State matchup, which, let's be honest, they're just going to get creamed in that one. And then after that, you know, it's a whole lot of toss-ups. You really don't know what to expect of them. You got Tulane, you got UTEP, you got Rice, who they beat last year. They beat Temple last year to start the season, which kind of was a shocker seeing how, you know, Temple went on to win the AAC. I honestly have them going to basically the same record, like you said. I think they get back to 8-5, and five, and I think uh, Jeff Monken really proves that, you know, his style of play can actually work in regardless of what could, you know, what talent you can bring in there. Yeah, the Temple win was definitely surprising. Temple's coming off back-to-back 10-win seasons. We'll get to them more later. But that that win definitely surprised me at the beginning of the year. I, I, I'm right there with you at, eight, at, at an 8-4 and four record, and I, I think that anything above that will be a nice surprise, but I don't expect anything worse than that. Yeah, what will be the main thing for them is the last time that these, this team has had success, they've always seemed to fall off. The last time they won their, a bowl game, they only won three games of the next year. The last time they got the eight wins or more, which was in 96, they only won four games the next year. And the last time they beat Navy, the next three years, they went a combined three and 33. So hopefully this is not the case with Army. You brought up Air Force earlier. It's always good when you get all three of the uh, service academies actually being, you know, obviously they're not going to compete for championships or whatnot, but it's just good to see them competing with the rest of the college football level. Yeah, and I think another thing to add to that is you just get to see a different style of offense with all three schools. You don't Teams don't normally see triple option, and I think, the, the nice thing about the Army-Navy game is you watch two triple option teams go against each other, and I think that adds a level of intrigue to that game as well. Couldn't agree with you more on that. Definitely couldn't agree with you, Omar. So you brought up Navy. I guess now will be the time we'll be transitioning into the AAC, and we'll start with the power rankings. What we're going to do here is we're going to go through the power rankings, you know, the 1 through 12 and then we're going to talk about what it takes for that particular team to have it, what you would call a successful season. You know, obviously not all of these teams are in contention to win the whole thing, but some of these, you know, some of these teams on the bottom are just looking to improve. So we will talk about which teams we think can do that. Uh, we will obviously start with the team that many feel could be the team that represents 
the G5 in the college football playoff. But that would obviously take for them to go a 12-0. and So let's talk about that. They're number one. We've talked about Quentin Flowers quite a bit. And we're obviously going to talk about him a little bit more later when we get into the preview of the game that's upcoming. Tell us what you think qualifies as a successful season for them. And then I guess kind of tell us what is, I don't want to say worst case scenario, but what would keep them outside of winning the conference? Well, here's the thing. I, everybody's really high on South Florida, and I, I understand that. But when you look at the history of even just the last five years of teams that were highly touted coming into the season, you, I mean, for instance, within their own conference, Houston, who we'll talk about later last year, was ranked at their top 15 team. And then if you look at the final rankings, they weren't even anywhere near that. So I think there needs to be some caution when you're talking about this team. Uh, that being said, I think the, the expectation is, is at least a New Year's Bowl. I, I don't think when you look at their schedule and you, everybody's probably heard this already, but you look at their schedule, their, their best power five game is going to be against Illinois and Illinois has been named as the worst power five team coming into this season. So, I think with their schedule, it's just not possible for them to even be considered in the playoff, and they might struggle just to stay in the top 25. And then worst case scenario, I I I don't see how anything worse than nine and three is possible with this team. Quinn Flowers is so good, and as long as he stays healthy, there's there's no reason why nine wins can't be the floor. Yeah, what I have written down here is ten wins. It, you know, that's that's the point, and again, we kind of talked about it in our over-under uh, on the last episode, but anything short than that it would be considered a failure, I feel like. So, you know, even if they go 9-3, and three, if I, I was them, I'd be pretty disappointed. Um, the best-case scenario, obviously, is to go, is to, go to 12-0. and 0. And my philosophy is, so last year it was, you know, Western Michigan, they were, you know, on the outside looking in, you know, with the perfect record and whatnot, but they're coming from the MAC. And the AAC is really doing this, you know, this power six movement that they're going about. Ken South Florida, and you brought up the schedule, and that's what's, if anything, going to keep them on the outside looking in. But Ken South Florida, because it is the AAC, which is a, a better conference than the MAC, can they be that, finally, that G5 team that sneaks in there? I guess we'll come to find out. Um, I just, you know, we kind of brought it up in the past. Obviously, as fans of this conference, we would love to see it happen, but it's just hard to say how you can keep out some of those, you know, the, the SEC teams, the Big Ten teams, the Big 12 and whatnot. So that'll be the difficult part about all that. The playoff is just out of reach for this conference at this point. Um, obviously, if they continue to grow, it's definitely a possibility, but it's really hard with how the college football world is right now to get a a team from this group of five into the playoff because that means you're surpassing two power five conferences and I'm pretty sure there's so many people that would lose their minds if a South Florida gets in over say for example a Pac-12 champion in like USC for for example I think that that just won't happen simply because of the politics involved in it. Now, if we talk expansion, which we won't get into, then I think it's it's more likely that a team gets in. But like you said, the combination of that AAC being a group of five conference still 
and South Florida's fairly weak schedule, I just don't see it happening. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Hopefully, you know, one of these days, they, this Power 6 push really does make a difference. But like we've talked about in the past, until they get the money that everybody else has and whatnot, that's not going to be the case. But to keep... Keep it going here. We, I mean, we could talk about this conversation all day, but to keep it going with these power rankings, we agreed with Memphis being number two. So I'll let you go first with what, you know, what is the successful season for them? And I think we both can agree that USF is the favorite on the east side and then it's Memphis on the west side. I think Memphis's uh, route to, to the, a New Year's Bowl is a little bit tougher than then South Florida is just because you have Houston, have SMU and Tulsa in the same division, even Navy. I think a successful season for Memphis should be at least 10 wins and it, even getting to that New Year's Bowl upsetting South Florida, uh, not to give away anything in, in our future roundtable article, but uh, I believe that Memphis has the team that can compete with USF. And like I mentioned before, it's really tough for a team – that's in the group of five who's ranked in the top 25 at the beginning of the season to stay in the top 25. So I think for, for Memphis, it's, it has to be a, a 10 win season to be successful. And then I think anything below that with the experience that they return might be a little bit of a disappointment. Yeah. I feel we're going to learn a lot about this team in that matchup against UCLA. Now we're going to see if they can really, you know, if they're, can compete in that, that New Year's Bowl that you were talking about. And then as far as, you know, best case scenario for the team, obviously you, you just brought it up. It would be winning this conference. And I don't, I mean, obviously they would just like to win the division and that would be, you know, it'd be an honor in itself. But I really, like you said, this team is one that is capable and does have the talent of winning this conference. The schedule, I don't want to say it's an easy one just because you kind of said it, you know, it is a little bit of a struggle because the West is a lot better, but talent wise, they definitely have the, you know, have the capability. And especially I'm, I'm a big fan of the quarterback. We've talked about him already in the past with Riley Ferguson, but I think he, if anyone is really going to give USF a shot, they're, they're the best case scenario for that. Now let's jump in Houston. That's, we have them. At third, primarily that's your team to cover for our site here. So I'll let you get it kicked off with that one. Obviously, they definitely have the talent to compete with anybody in this conference. So can they find, you know, because for a long time it's been Houston. It's been considered maybe that best G5 school. And it just it hasn't, you know, the, the conference championship just hasn't been there yet for them. So. Do you think this maybe is the year that, you know, they're kind of, hey, let's just say, kind of the underdog, really. Nobody's talking about it. So is this the year they sneak up on everybody and finally get that conference title? Yeah, it's funny that they're, that we rank them the third best team, but yet, yeah, we, we consider them an underdog. I, I think that's kind of, kind of funny. Uh, I think Major Avoid doesn't get the greatest reputation because he's following up Tom Herman. Don't get me wrong, Tom, Tom Herman did his thing. He got... Houston to a level that they, they hadn't seen before. But I think Applewhite's a better coach than people give him credit for. And he has, like you mentioned, plenty of talent to go on both sides of the ball. Obviously, you have Ed Oliver. We don't need to talk about him. His game talks for itself. 
Um, you have Kyle Allen, who people aren't super excited for for whatever reason. Um, he's a former five star and has plenty of plenty of talent to to torch any defense. Um, and he has the he has the weapons around him. The the thing that's going to get Houston is they're de- uh, obviously they're going to work on that in fall camp and as the first few games get going here. But if uh, if they, they don't have a ton of depth at certain positions, defensive line is one that I know off the top of my head. If if they can develop the second and third string guys, then there's no reason why they can't win this conference. I think nine wins is definitely achievable. And, I mean, their athletic director has said that eight or nine wins is the expectation. Houston, they've gotten to that level where you expect to win eight or nine games a year because – you bring all that talent in, and they have the ability to make a run every single year. And I think since Herman's gone, it seems like expectations are a little bit lower, and I think that helps this team a lot because the target is off their back and it's elsewhere. So they not that they'll sneak up on people, but they don't have nearly as much pressure as last year, and I think that gives them a few more wins. Yeah, I... I, I can't not agree with you there just because of the fact you know just because they lost Greg Ward which obviously you know was a great quarterback for them obviously you know and you know kind of like Flowers was you know last year you know he he was all the hype was about him coming into the season you know so it was Houston that was that was USF last year basically so but they're still returning a hell of a team and you know, you brought up the round table earlier. One of the things we, we talked about is, you know, how many wins will come over the P5 schools. And Houston, I feel, is the best bet to have multiple wins over P5 schools. They're, you know, they got the game against Arizona and then they got against Texas Tech. What scares me a little bit about them is the schedule is brutal. Brought up those two. Then you got, you know, you got Temple, you got USF, you got Tulsa. And I'm pretty sure they're all on the road. All those games were on the road too. So that's the one daunting thing that they've got going for them. But like you said, they are still a very talented bunch. Eight wins is definitely, you know, that's as low as I can see them going. Anything less than that would be a disappointment. Yeah, you mentioned, and you mentioned Ward before too, that Houston averaged 296 passing yards last, last season per game. And that was with Greg Ward. Not that Greg Ward was a bad passer, but you, I mean, you look at Greg Ward, you can tell he's more of a runner. And just imagine what they can do now that Kyle Allen's there. I mean, Allen's a way better passer than Greg Ward is. That's no disrespect to Ward, but just talent-wise, Allen has the tools to be a better passer. And if they can average 296 yards a game with a runner, then it's 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 going to be scary what they can do with an actual passer under center or in shotgun. Uh, you mentioned the schedule. Like you said, they have a brutal schedule. Um, the, the games that are most important come on the road, which is unfortunate. But that, I think that's going to show the character of this team. Uh, the first game, even UTSA, is is no guarantee. that they, uh, they definitely gave Houston a run for the money when they came in 2014 to, to play against the Cougars. And I, I think... The, the Roadrunner fans are are really excited for this game, and I think that opener is going to be harder than, than people expect. Now, next up on our list at number four, actually might shock some people, it was the UCF Knights. 
let people know why we have them. You know, because some people are going to argue, how do you not put the defending champs next? Which we will get into soon. Don't worry about that. But why the Knights at number four over some of the other teams that we have obviously behind them? I think it's just the, the Scott Frost is, is getting people excited and he's done well on the recruiting trail to get kids to come to his program. And I think a lot of people are excited about just the talent that's already on this team. Quarterback Mackenzie Milton is, is a sophomore this year and I, I think people are really high on him and if you watch Frost and what he did at Oregon, you can, you can see what kind of effect he has on quarterbacks and the offense as a whole. And the fact that he turned a team that didn't win a game two years ago and brought them to a bowl game in, a, in his first year as a head coach, I think is why people are so excited. And I'm not saying that, you know, they're going to win 10 games and they're going to just stun everybody. I mean, that's certainly possible, but I think that it's hard for me to argue that they're going to regress after the season that they had last year. Yeah, I, you know, you brought up Scott Frost. He's he's finally starting to build that, you know, it takes, like they say, a year or two to get the guys you need to run the style that you want to run. So you brought up that excitement level. This will be the first year where the, he can really run that offense that made him, what made him to be a head coach of, when he was out of Oregon over there. So he's going to bring that up-tempo offense. And then it's Central Florida. You know, we know about, you know, the facilities and how well they are. And, you know, obviously the town of Florida, you know, is, is better there than just about anywhere else. So they will always be one of those teams that is now going to be on the rise. I think they are now going to be one of those teams like South Florida who will always end Houston. Let's bring them up again. You know, they will always be in contention, even though, you know, they're still in this, you know, outside of the Power Five. But they will always be now the three teams that everybody will probably look to when you're talking about, you know, expansion in the future. Because it's, it, that's going to be inevitable, but that's a whole other conversation there. But the thing with UCF that a little bit scares me is they're going to score points, but can they stop anybody? They have, you know, have Griffin on defense, who's, don't get me wrong, is a great player. Great, great player. Probably be very high selection in next year's draft. But that'll be the thing for them. If they really are going to make the next step, which is compete with USF, they're going to have to play a little bit better on defense. And then next up, next up on the list at number five, I just brought him up not too long ago, is those defending champion, the Temple Owls. They've got, some answers. They still got to figure out a quarterback. They've got some holes to fill along the defensive line and then linebacker. But Matt Rule left a pretty talented bunch. I still think I don't think they'll be as competitive this year. I don't think they like any chance of them winning the conference this year, to be honest, just because of the question marks they have a quarterback because we're what basically 10 days away from the start of the season and they still haven't announced the quarterback and it's a legitimate four-man competition you know that's not a good thing you know usually the saying is if you have uh two you're no good well when it's four it's really bad so they have to figure out what they're going to do there they've got some pieces for whoever that guy is whoever they figure out the quarterback is but 
for me, the best case scenario for them, honestly, I think the best they can do this year is an eight-win season, which is still respectable considering what Temple used to be, say, ten years ago, where they used to be, you know, one of the laughingstocks of college football, and you know, not long ago they just got booted out of the Big East as well. So, for me, eight and four would be a solid season for the Owls under their new head coach. Joey, what do you think of that? Yeah, I I think I I would say that in college, I, because college teams don't have to announce a quarterback, you know, like the NFL, they're required at a certain point to announce the starter and whatnot. In college, I think it's it's often better for teams to not have to announce that, just because it keeps everybody competitive that is still in in competition for the job. And that doesn't necessarily tell us much because we don't know is no nobody's pulling away or is is everybody just playing really well and it's hard to choose between one of the four. You mentioned earlier too that it's it's hard with all the turnover to see how this team's gonna do. It's nice to see that they're back to being competitive in this league. And I, I agree with you that Eight wins is definitely achievable. I said anything above seven to five would be a success. Season. They have the talent to do it, but like you said, there's just so much transition on both sides of the ball. And with the new coaching staff, I think it's going to take a little while for all of those pieces to gel. Yeah, I'm excited about what Jeff Collins is going to bring to the table. Um, he's done a terrific job. I mean, obviously his first recruiting class wasn't spectacular, but that's the case when anybody just takes over a job that late into you know the recruiting season you know obviously some people are going to go so it wasn't a terrific one but ever since then he's done a ter- you know he's done a terrific job of bringing in talent he's really tried to bring local talent too which is a big thing because Pennsylvania is another one of those you know, breeding grounds for talent obviously and anytime you can snatch away players away from those rival schools in Pennsylvania that's a big thing so I hope he continues to do that made his mark as a crazy recruiter with sending guys pictures and things like that and all you know all these crazy hashtags and he came up with the first flag coordinator so Jeff Collins has thought outside of the box oh and we didn't even talk about you know you could sponsor the jersey numbers that they're doing the 1 through 9 which is you know a crazy thing that Temple's trying out too so they're they're trying to find ways of bringing attention back to Temple which I think is great because you know it is one of those schools that's in a big market, so it's nice that they're trying to get in there. So I would love to see Temple be competitive again this year, but they're a year away from Jeff Collins really doing or really taking over and making an act with this team. But next up, number six on our list, is a team that I feel could be a little bit of a wild card on the west side too, and that is the Tulsa Golden Hurricane. Um, tell me what you think about Tulsa heading into this year, and do you agree with me in the sense that that they maybe could sneak up on, you know, we talked about already the other two teams, that being Memphis and Houston? They're definitely a sleeper, yeah, I would agree in this conference. I think I'm just, I'm not very high on them just because of the turnover that they they have. They also have, quarter like like Temple, they have quarterback competitions that they need, the competition that they need to figure out. They do have some stability up front and in the in the backfields. 
So that, that will help them a little bit. But yeah, I definitely think that they're going to be a sleeper. Philip Montgomery's done a good job of getting this program back to scoring a bunch of points and putting them back into the conversation of winning the conference championship. But I think that this year there's just a little bit too much for them to replace after a 10-win season last year. So I think that's going to prevent them from competing for a conference championship in 2017. Yeah, what's always been the one thing about Tulsa is they've always been one of those teams that have scored a lot of points. And I don't know if they might be a little bit better than they have been. Actually, I don't know how much better you can be because last year they were pretty successful too. You know, now it's about seeing if maybe you can make the next, that jump to, you know, getting into the conference. But you brought up that offensive line. That's obviously, you know, by far their best unit going in. And then they got D'Angelo Brewer to run behind it. Can they win the West? That's one of those things that, you know, I keep picking them to be that sleeper team, but then the more and more I think about it, the more and more I talk myself out of it as well. Just because the other inefficiencies on this team. But then again, it'll be, it's one of those things that wouldn't shock me just because Tulsa's always, you know, always came out of the blue and has scored a ton of points, brought up Montgomery. That's what he does. I'm, I keep saying, I don't know. I'm literally doing it right now. I just talked myself out of it. I don't know if they can be that team or, and I had that on a round table as a team that maybe I'll change that going in the morning. We'll see about that. I think we're going to go back and forth uh, up until the, the season starts and maybe even halfway through the season on this team. That That's probably an accurate statement. That's a very accurate statement. We could probably say that about this next team we're going to talk about too, and that is the uh, SMU Mustangs. They're a team that some expect to really bust out, and then they're in my head. I, then I look at the schedule, and I'm like, man, can they really actually beat these guys, and can they really actually beat that team? Do you really think this is the year that they finally become bowl eligible? I th- I think it's possible for them to be bowl eligible, but I'm having trouble finding more than seven wins. We're going to talk about their offense a lot this year. Uh, Corden Sutton, which we've we've talked about him multiple times already in these podcasts, is going to be one of the best receivers in the country, in my opinion, and has there's plenty of other weapons offensively that can relieve some pressure that he's going to see. Ben Hicks, I think, is one of the underrated players in the conference and could be could have a breakout season this year because of all the talent that surrounds him. The problem with them, and it seems to be a problem with multiple teams in this conference, is can they play defense? Last year they were they were one of the worst in the conference and I mean they they struggled mightily with Navy last year, and I just giving up 75 points to a triple option team doesn't give you a ton of confidence when it's the last game of the season. I think a bowl game, like I said, is possible, and I think seven wins might be the ceiling, which is tough to say with all that potential on offense. Yeah, you brought up that game against Navy, and that was hard to watch just to see. You know, you don't ever expect – I just remember – because I didn't watch the game, to be honest. But I, I just remember seeing, you know, when it come across the ticker and said, how does Navy score that many points against anyone running the triple off- 
option. That's just absurd. It's just something that shouldn't happen. And, you know, that's going to be the thing about them. You Can their defense keep up with their offense? You brought up how that offense is going to be. You know, it's it's going to be one of the better ones. You know, you brought up, you know, brought up Sutton, but the kids around them, because everyone's going to put their attention on him, and they're going to bring other guys. They got receivers. Let's just put it that way. They got some receivers for Ben Hicks to throw to. So they're really going to sling it. What, for me, will be the thing that could you brought up, like, defenses, and I've had this conversation in the past. We have now reached that era in football where everyone wants to know, is the defense going to keep up? Is it really going to keep up? With all these passing teams and these spread options and spread offenses and whatnot, it's really become a point now where defenses are just literally, you know, they're, they're on their heels all the time. It's more bend or break for just about every team in college football, other than, you know, the real elite where Alabama is just defenses are just phenomenal and teams like that. But a lot of these teams in college football, they're basically just, the, it's it's a run and shoot. Whoever scores more goes. And then defense, it just seems like in general, it's just, you know, it plays the back burner for, for everything now. Do you agree with that assessment that it's just, it's hard to play defense nowadays just because of all the rules that favor the offense. So all these high tempo offense in college football really is going to help out a team like SMU on one side, but it's really going to hurt a team like them on the other side, just because it's just hard to keep up. Whether you're SMU, Cincinnati, Tulsa, half of these teams in the country, honestly, we could say that about. Right, and it, even just look at at the at this conference. South Florida was poor defensively last year, and they need to have their defense step up. Memphis needs to have their defense step up to keep up with the offense. We just talked about UCF. They their offense is going to be good, like we said, but it, what's what's the defense going to do? Tulsa's defense was pretty average last year and needs to step up. So, yeah, it's definitely a theme within this conference. And you, yeah, like you said, even you look at Alabama last year, they they were scoring more points than they ever have, and at times the defense struggled to keep up. And so I think with the the direction that college football is heading, you just need a, a bend don't break attitude, like you you mentioned, and it's just it's not uncommon as we're seeing in this conference because it's happening all over college football. Yeah, that's why sometimes I feel like when you we bash these defensive team, you know, these defensive coordinators or these defensive players, but it's just there's really only so much they could do just because I brought up the rules earlier, you know, God forbid you touch anyone in in the game anymore or you hit anybody or you know, you're ejected. So it's really made it hard for these defensive guys to make any plays. So, you know, it's almost like Watching seven on sevens out there, which, I mean, I guess that's part of the reason why we love some of these games. Mac is done to, you know, just calling themselves the Maction just, be, you know, just because they know that's the case to score all these points all the time. SMU and Tulsa and teams like that, that's what they're going to try to do. They're just going to try to outscore you because they know they have these inefficiencies on defense. And now I just brought up Cincinnati and they're, you know, their next team on the list at number eight. Uh, in my mind, Luke Fickle was a great hire for them, and he has some talent still left over. But we're really going to find a lot about this team. You know, week two, Michigan, that's going to be a beatdown. But we're going to find out a lot about this team, you know, come week three on. Do you think they are the number eight team, which we talk about in the roundtable, 
we set the mark at eight. Do you think they be are that eight team to be bowl eligible, or are they just on the outside looking in? I think they're going to be that team that is the the swinger here. And I, I like you said the second the second week against Michigan is going to be rough. I don't think we're going to learn a ton from that just because it's going to be a beat down. But week three against Miami of Ohio is, is, is a good gauge to see how good this team actually is because I mean, it's a winnable game for them. And even though they have a new coach, which if, if you look at what Fickle's been doing there, it's kind of reminding me a little bit of what Herman did at Houston. And both programs needed a change, and they're getting one. And Fick did a good job of making the culture his own, and I think that's the most important thing. So in terms of success for them, I think just changing the culture is the biggest focus this year. And if they make it to a bowl game, then that's just another another thing to add to their resume for this year. And it, it really just – all that matters – to them should just be changing that culture and then whatever comes next is just an added benefit or result from that yeah, change of culture. Six-win six season, which is obviously bowl eligible, I think is is certainly capable for them. Will they go above that? I can't see that. Below that, you know, on the outside looking in, I think, you know, obviously because it's his first year, I think we give Fickle the benefit of the doubt that, you know, if he's not bowl eligible the first season, that you know, coming in the next year, you would expect a lot better things from them. But, you know, you kind of brought, you know, we brought it up that that game against Michigan is going to, it'll really determine, like, you know, the team's gut. Like, are they going to be a team that's, oh, my God, you know, we just got spanked by them and we're going to drop down and just, you know, really, you know, fall down for the rest of the season? Or, we're you know, on the next week, again, you brought it up, it is Miami, Ohio, where they're going to, you know, realize, you know, lick their wounds almost and say, all right, we kind of knew what was going to happen. Now let's see what was good in that game, build on it, and then see what we can do from there and then go Mm -hmm. to bowl eligibility, what I brought up. Now the next team on the list, which is number nine, and that is the Navy Midshipmen. You know, we talked about Army a little bit earlier. Their triple option really, okay, let's just, we brought up the 73, you know, the 73 point game or whatever it was against SMU and how electric the offense looked that day. And then one week later in the, in the AAC championship game, that all, that same offense looked god awful. And that was with, for the most part, the guy that's taking over quarterback in this year, and that is Zach Abbey. He's not the same quarterback as the last two were there. Was it nerves or was it something that that's where we're expecting to see this upcoming season? What do you realistically expect from the midshipmen this year? Abby, yeah, definitely doesn't have the the magic that Will Worth and Keenan Reynolds had. When those two were in, you just felt that the team had a chance to win when they were on the field. And I, I think Abby just was thrown into a bad situation when you're the backup and you're just thrown in at the end of the season and you're playing in 
two big games that are the AAC championship game and a rivalry game against Army, I think nerves definitely had something to do with it. You could just tell if you watch, go back and watch the first half of the Army game. Abby looked like he had no idea what was going on, and I honestly don't even know if he remembers any of that first half because he just looked so lost and very confused. But I think I think he'll be solid. It's kind of kind of scary to see that they're so low on our list. But when you look at who they have returning, their defense. This might be one of the only teams in the conference where the defense isn't going to be the problem. It's going to be the offense. But I think they'll be solid. They they may surprise us with another, you know, eight-plus win season. But it would take a special performance from Abby to do that. And I think I think seven wins is probably more realistic. Yeah, my thing with them is we've brought up Abby. He's not as talented as the rest of the guys. And I feel like... The schedule really doesn't do them any favors this year. It's a really rough schedule for them. Can they make it back? Because that's the thing about the midshipmen. Can they make it back to another bowl game? Of course they can. I feel like every year they make it back to a bowl game. You know, you count them out every year, but somehow they, you know, they always get there. They always got the will to get back there. So will that surprise me? No. And you kind of said it's a little bit scary to honestly put them down here at number nine just because – you know, they they are that team that every year just shocks you and gets you know, you know nobody expected them to make it to that conference championship game last year. So, you know, honestly, everybody expected all the other teams we've already talked about to be there. So can they make it back there this year? Maybe it's because their triple option is one that really surprises everyone, but they just don't have the same guy running the offense like they have in the past. So don't see that happening this year. And that leaves us with our final three teams. Honestly, you can really put them in any order you want to. This is the order we went with. If you want to put one in front of the other, one in the last, we won't complain until we, once the season starts, and then we can really be a judge of it. But heading into the year, we have the Green Wave at number 10. And what I'm worried about with them is some people are really expecting them to make this quantum leap under Willie Fritz because they won four games last year. I just don't think it's happening just because the schedule is really rough for them. So do you really think that they could pull this off that somehow, because some people really think they're going to be bowl eligible, but I'm not buying it. So are you in agreement with me that another four win at best seasons on the way, or can they actually surprise some people and get to that bowl eligibility? Someone's going to have to really convince me that they can win four games. If you look at the schedule, I only see three games where I feel confident in taking Tulane. You're telling me that they're going to have to beat at least one of the either Navy, Oklahoma, Army, Tulsa, USF, Memphis, Cincinnati, Houston, or SMU. I mean... I could sit here and talk about it and debate it all day, but someone's really going to have to make a great argument that Tulane can beat one of those teams or even two. That would, that would just be very surprising for me. I think another four-win season would be a success because that means that they would beat somebody that 
they weren't expected to beat. And I mean, if they make if they make a bowl game, then I completely underestimated this team. But I just don't think that's going to happen. All right. So to make sure I'm on the record, actually, I am already on the record. Um, me and Cyrus, who you can also hear doing one of the other po- the podcasts on on Underdog Dynasty, well, we put out earlier this week our best bets for over and under win totals, and I took the two lanes under as a definite win. Their project, their over under total is at five. We've been talking. We said this number. I don't even think four is possible to be honest. You brought up that nasty schedule. It is really, really brutal. Back-to-back road games in Navy and Oklahoma, and then South Florida and Memphis back-to-back as well. If you want to make some money some this year, take that one. Not that I'm a gambling guy. Next up on our list is we put UConn there. Again, you could argue to be the team. There's only one team left, and you, if you've been paying attention, you know who that is. But we're putting UConn at number 11. I'll just let you start because, to be honest, UConn is one of those teams I really don't know what to expect from them this year just because they got a new coach in Randy Etzel. They've got some pieces on defense. And, like, you just actually brought up earlier. They're the one, you know, like Navy, they might have a solid defense, but their offense, you have no idea what to expect from them. Right, and I think that's the kind of they're kind of the outlier where the defense is is going to be solid, like you said, and it really comes down to offense. Now they they somehow I it's, still have no idea how this worked, but Rhett, Rhett Lashley left Auburn to come to UConn to be the offensive coordinator. I still not sure how that happens, which I think that'll help them a lot, but. Like you said, there's still the previous regime didn't leave Edsel with much to work with. And look, if you look at the schedule, it's, it's going to be tough to find, to find three wins on that schedule. And I guess that leaves us with the last team, which is the East Carolina Pirates. That's another team. I picked two teams in the AAC to go under the projected win total. And this one for ECU is a three and a half. To be honest, I can see them winning one game. And that's the game against James Madison, and that's the season opener. And after that, it might be a long road for the Pirates. You know, some people think that we're crazy for picking ECU to be on the bottom over the other two teams we picked ahead of them. But I just don't know... If they really have, you know, some will say that they had a lot of defensive uh, injuries last year. So can a lot of those pieces come back and really make them have some depth? But I just, I just don't see how they're going to be able to keep up with the rest of the uh, conference. And then even their out of conference schedule is rough for them. Well, yeah, like you said earlier. The, the bottom three team, Tulane, UConn, and ECU, we agreed that we could, you could flip flop them. It, I mean, really doesn't matter where they're at. We might as well just put them in as, at a tie for 10th in the conference. And like you mentioned, they might win one game. The thing that, that has me optimistic for them is they do play UConn and Tulane. So, I mean, they could get two, maybe three wins. 
But James Madison is not even a pushover either. They just won the FCS championship last year, so that that's not even a guaranteed win. And I've talked about this before. They they might not have a win until November when they play UConn. I think that fact alone is the reason why they're at the bottom. It doesn't have as much to do with they don't have the talent because they have some talented pieces still still back this year, but it's just the schedule doesn't doesn't make me very confident that they're going to win a game. Maybe that first game, like you said, but like like I said, James Madison is no pushover, and if you're going to be winless until November, then you're probably well-deserving of being on the bottom of the conference. Yeah, so that is our power rankings heading into the 2017 season. In case you want to hear go through it again, it was USF 1, Memphis 2, Houston 3, UCF 4, Temple 5, Tulsa 6, SMU 7, Cincy at 8, Navy 9, Tulane 10, UConn 11, and ECU at 12. And like we said, you can interchange those last three. We won't complain. And then, of course, that's obviously going to be changed all season long, and we will keep you updated. It'll be probably between the two of us, so we'll be doing it all season long. We'll have some help along the way because, you know, we got some other guys doing work here. But now I guess it's time to actually talk a game, finally. I guess it's fine to talk a game. We've been looking forward to this part of the coverage all summer long, really talk football, finally finish the guessing game and really get to something that matters. And that starts on Saturday. The Bulls will kick it off, and they're playing, like I brought up earlier, playing San Jose State, the Spartans. The Spartans are one of those teams. I picked them as another team that you want to take an under. They're going to struggle to find wins to get the season started. And I think... The USF team really going to make an opening statement. I think Charlie Strong wants to stop firing to start the game. I don't think they're going to play any mercy on San Jose State. The line's at 21 and a half. I will take USF all day. Give me a little bit of a preview of what you think of the Spartans. Well, surprisingly enough, uh, I did a little research in the, the in the last 15 years. San Jose State is actually 13-2 and in home openers, so if you're a Spartans fan, that's got to make you pretty excited, at least from a number standpoint. Now, I'll also bring up in that same 15-year span, they're 1-21 against ranked teams, and the Bulls come in at number 19, I believe, so that obviously doesn't bode well for San Jose State. Uh, when you look at their stats from last year, they, they weren't, they weren't great offensively. They were towards the bottom in nearly every category. The one thing that they did well was they were 20th in pass defense last year, which I found surprising. So uh, even though I don't think USF is gonna throw a ton because they're gonna utilize Flowers' legs more, I, I still think that they, they need to be careful when they're, when they're throwing the ball. Yeah, actually, that was the thing that surprised me, too. You talk about past defense. Uh, they have a kid who some were considering actually shut down corners, and uh, hopefully I don't butcher his name, but it is Andre Chair, who a lot think is got NFL talent. But you kind of brought it up 
there's going to be really no reason for USF to really throw the ball. Uh, Flowers are going to run all over them. The Spartans really have some inefficiencies up front. And then this year, last year, it was Marlon Mack. This year, it is going to be the Dearness Johnson show. Um, me and you, we were talking about who we feel is going to be the breakout player earlier. And when we talked earlier, I said Boone, but now I really talked myself into Johnson. I really think he's a kid that's going to be really special this year. But as far as the, the Spartans go, I think a little bit of something to really keep an eye on will be that the offensive coordinator for San Jose State was actually the quality control coach for Charlie Strong at Texas last year. So there will be maybe some familiarity with each other on there. And then the Spartans do return all five of their starters on the offensive line, but then they're still trying to figure out who's going to be the starter at quarterback. So that's one thing that, you know, I said earlier about Temple. If you don't know who your quarterback is and we're now, you know, just a few days away from the game starting, that's, you know, that's a big problem. Um, They've got, Two running backs returning, but even those two guys, they barely got close to a thousand yards and only had five touchdowns. The offense is not going to be able to keep up with USF. And then the defensive line for, you know, San Jose State is not that strong either. So I really think between Flowers, Johnson, they're just going to pound it down their throats. I said it before. Strong's going to want to make an opening statement in his first game there. Really think this can be a blowout for the Bulls in their first game to start the year and then really set a tone. Hopefully, you know, we said earlier, for them to go on that magical run that they want to do this year. Yeah, I think making a statement to start the season, there's only five games on Saturday, so if anybody's interested in a game that that USF might be the team that people want to watch and like you said it's it's Flowers opening campaign for you know for his for his Heisman run if he's going to make one and it's also you know a new start for Charlie Strong like you mentioned and I think what I would like to see is for USF's defense to show that they are improved from last year and under Charlie Strong and I think if they can win comfortably here, then they're off to a good start. Yeah, that defense actually is bringing back nine returning starters too. And then Charlie Strong is a defensive guy. So I think that's actually something that uh, will actually play in their favor. I think that defense will be a lot better. And that's part of the reason why I am a favorite of them this weekend to get a nice big win, nice I'll say a nice 28-point 28, 28 win. I think they can pull that off this week with ease, even on the road. Yeah, I definitely agree. I'm in that 28 to even 31, 32 range. All right, then. And on that note, I guess that is it for Episode 12 of the Underdog Podcast. Um, once again, make sure you are following us on Facebook, Twitter, me and Joey on those same as well and leave us some reviews and then please I understand if you're just listening to the show because you're a friend of American but make sure you're also listening to our buddies you know Adam Cyrus and Jared are doing a hell of a job with the Conference USA and the Sunbelt podcast too so please give them a listen as well 
You know, we keep saying it. Not that many G5 ones out there, so we're going to keep pushing it for you guys. Keep giving us a listen. But until next time, thanks for listening to the Underdog Podcast. And go Bulls.